service, say. Good morning and good evening. This is Outside the Mic. I'm Jarrett Weimer. My name's Mel. Mel? Good evening. Who's Mel? Gonna do a different character today. Who are you? Somebody else. I'll let you know as we get going. Do you just talk in one frequency and that's it? Yeah, it's kind of a DJ thing I'm gonna do. What are you, now you're a country DJ? What happened? There was a little accent on the end of that. DJ Mel. I'm not, (laughs) I snorted. I didn't mean to snort. And I'm Martin Meyer. Uh, This is a podcast where we banter all matters music. Mostly we do. It's a beautiful spring day here on Outside the Mic. We're at Great Sky Studios. You can hear the birds chipping outside and the wind just, just barely whistling the trees. Ah, yes, and the Blue Jays are coming up from the south. Oh no, watch out! It's a it's a tiger! Wow. You're supposed to continue the oh. side. <laughs> he, he's about to take a drink of coffee. I'm carrying this thing to the next level, and he's done. Is that good? It's not like a garbage truck. <laughs> no. Why did a spring day suddenly involve a tiger? I don't know. I was I thought we went into Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Based on the weather we've been having, Anybody we cannot predict that? anything. <laughs> no, we cannot. And I, based on your scream before we started this, I'm going to be half deaf in one ear anyway. So uh, I might not hear if you bring a tiger into the scenario. Listen here, Martin. Vocal warm-ups are important, okay? And part of my regimen each day is, is doing a loud screeching scream mm-hmm. right about high C. Yeah. So <laughs> if you can't get on my level... I don't know what we're going to do. High C, do you remember that drink? High C? No. Yeah. You don't? It's probably before. I think it was called time. High C. I might have to look. There's a Wasn't there a grocery store called High V? Um, there was. It was. But I think there was a drink. I'm going to look. The most of you older generations will remember High C. I'm Yo, sure. whippersnapper, did I remember say, the High C. Did I, did I say mostly we do or did we, I forget? We walked to school Uphill both ways while we drink our high C. You remember that there, old filler? <laughs> you want to know something interesting? You tell me what's interesting. And, and you're going to get there. Okay. Is I actually have this that. This is some wisdom. I'm ready. Yeah, wisdom, baby. Not wisdom, just uh, weirdness. But oh. you grow up and you do reflect on some of those things that your parents said about when I was young. Mm-hmm. And then before you know it, you blink your eyes and you're in that spot where you're looking back and going, wow, when I was young. Yeah. And things do change pretty dramatically. I actually still remember spending, putting a dime, this is how old I am, putting a dime in a soda machine and getting a bottle of pop. Wow. For a dime. A dime. You can't get anything for a dime now. For a dime. Can I get a... You might get another dime. Can I get a dime for your thoughts? I know it's only worth about a penny. You got to pay me for my thoughts, pal. That's how this works. Any of your thoughts? Think about that inflation there, huh? Yeah. Now it's like $100 an hour for your thoughts. Yeah. What's up with that? You go to therapy. You tell them all your problems. 
Mm-hmm. Then they sound the bell. It's over. And you walk out going, I just paid this dude. Just tell my problems. Yeah, just go to a bar. And I could have just told you my problems. You could have. For free. That's what it is, I think. Just being able to express that yeah. to another person. No, I'm not discrediting therapy. It's super good. Speaking of, you saw my cap. He's got a new cap on, folks. But it's a maroon cap. With the... With who's pe- that character, Jared? Peanuts. Yeah, but that's not Peanuts. You said Peanuts. He's from Peanuts, but who is that? Jared. Oh, that's Snoopy, the okay. dog. <laughs> Thank you. I was going to be really, really surprised is, if you uh, know. Peanuts is the little bird? No. <laughs> no. What's his name? I'm not a Charlie Brown guy. should have went down this path. Peanuts is the little boy. No, that's Charlie Brown. Peanuts is just the name of the cartoon. There's nobody named what, Peanuts. What's the point? Why, why is there nobody named Peanuts? That makes no sense. I don't we know. We just call it Charlie Brown. I was reading an anniversary, the golden anniversary book to my little guy with Peanuts, and he's really getting into it now because they're mm. funny. But this was when Snoopy wore shades, he was Joe Cool. Oh, and in Joe Cool. Joe Cool, that's what they call it. It was a pretty famous character. That strip is one of the most, probably the most commercially successful. Charles Schultz made billions of dollars. But the little bird, speaking of which, what's the little bird's name, Jarrett? Isn't it something like Geronimo or something like that? Woodstock. Woodstock? That's crazy. <laughs> yes, it's Woodstock. We've come full circle when on we, season three. Have. This is part two just because we mentioned the bird. <laughs> no, yeah. no, we're not to part two yet, but I, I believe Woodstock. Part two is coming. Yeah, it was created after the concert. So In theaters near you. <laughs> 2025. 2025. Here we go. <laughs> the reason I brought up Peanuts is because I don't know if you remember, he probably didn't read the strip that much growing up. But Lucy, who was a character, had a little stand, and instead of a Kool-Aid or lemonade stand, it said psychiatric help for oh, five God. cents. <laughs> and, and, and Charlie Brown and, and others would come and listen to Lucy's wisdom for five cents. So You can only get psychiatric help for five cents in Canada. Yeah, from a nine-year-old or whatever. <laughs> I think she is. Yeah. And it probably offered some really profound wisdom i would say that you could not get my voice feels deep today you're very resonant that's great are you well awoke now i am woke are as the kids awoken? say i'm woke. I'm woke i'm glad you're woke we're liddy we're doing this early we're doing this early here and we got a tiger in the studio i got a tiger by the tail and you know when we're transitioning when we start singing because we start to mm-hmm. maneuver our laptops and get to the next screen yeah so when we just start randomly singing that's what we're doing Folks, outsiders, when we first started out, when we were a little less unsure, which, you know, now you can tell we're not unsure at all. (laughs) No, Uh, we would once in a while, if we got stuck or we were lost, we would clap and then we could see a little uh, little line on the recording thing and we'd know where we clapped. Why are you giving away our secrets? I I I probably shouldn't be doing that, but we don't have to clap. (laughs) I was just saying, we don't have to, we don't have the clap anymore. This is a totally unedited (laughs) podcast. We We make no edits. We don't have the clap. We don't have the clap. Jared. (laughs) Oh my God. Would you pay attention? This just went right, (laughs) this went right down. I guarantee you, this is the point in the episode where the retention rate of listeners Mm -hmm. drops. (laughs) <laughs> you think so God, i hope not i hope stay not. with us there's there's good things to come this is a point in the show where i always realize this is going to go longer than what we yeah. thought it was going to go and so okay let's get to the meat all right thank well, you for joining us we need to start off a little bit of on this day in music history yeah again okay what do you you don't I'm, like it huh? what do you got you want to do something no i'm kidding on i suggested day in- it your freaking head? I think it's turned into sort of a expected segment, but 
it is funny. We'll see. We'll see who it is today. Maybe we'll get some new folks for today in music history. And we won't even say the day, right? We will say the day. We will. That's the whole point. Okay. On this day in music, what day? I don't know. And this I, day. I'd be fine if I listened to a podcast and I knew it was recorded a year before, and then I would expect that, you know, this might be something historical from that day, not the day I listened to it. How could you possibly do that? We'd be have, having to be like a magician to pull that off, right? Mm. Or some kind of a guru. Or we just go to on this day, no, thisdayinmusic.com and click yeah. the little drop down <laughs> box and choose the date. Oh, okay. That's that insight again. On this day in music history, this episode will stream April 12th, and we're looking at April 12th, 1969. The Fifth Dimension started a six-week run at number one on the U.S. singles chart with Aquarius slash Let the Sunshine In. I love that song. A number 11 hit in the U.K. What did it do in the U.S.? Does it say? Number one. Oh, it was number one. For six weeks. Were you not listening? I do you know what was funny is I was, <laughs> I really made an effort right after we got into this. I'm like, I'm going to focus. I'm going to look at Jarrett. I'm going to pay attention. And yet I missed the beginning because I was, I was thinking about how focused I was going to be. And you were. And I, and I missed it. But I'm Just focused. look now. at him. Look, look. Wait, shoot. What did he say? <laughs> do you know that song? I don't know that song. Oh, really? Let the sun shine in. No, I don't it's know. It's like, let the sun shine. Let. It's a total. This is a song for the that generation, for that time period, because that was around Woodstock, too. And yeah, that was a 69. Hip, it's a hippie song, baby, and it is freaking awesome. If I can find a little cut here, I might play some of it. I loved that song. It was a epic song. It was a pretty long song. Was it? Yeah. Right on. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Age of Aquarius. Still just ring just do an acapella version for me. I was six the years whole old song. when that came. Not the whole thing. I don't know the whole lyric. I probably know almost I the bet whole you lyric. Could do it. Anyway, let us know, people, if you know that song. Exactly. We're looking generation. at April 12th, 1975. During an interview with Playboy magazine, David Bowie announced his second career retirement, saying, I've rocked my role. It's a boring dead end. There will be no more rock and roll records for me. The last thing I want to be is some useless beeping rock singer. In 1975. In 1975. Wow. See, I was paying attention, Jared. You did good, yeah. How many people have done that and publicly stated... Do you remember Celine Dion? No. Tell me. Well, there was a a comedian did this great sketch because she kept saying she was going to retire. Mm. And this was it. This is like her final tour or whatever. And I remember thinking at the time, too, like, wasn't she going to retire? Because then you'd see her again. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was maybe on Saturday Night Live, but wherever it was, it was a female comedian. <laughs> and she was reporting that Celine Dion had announced she was retiring again. And she said, baby, we can't miss you if you never leave. <laughs> so <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Almost like a uh, Brett Favre situation. Yeah, there you go. We're looking now at April 12th, 1989. This will be the last (laughs) one. Garth Brooks released his (laughs) self-titled... Stop, I'm getting mixed (laughs) up here. Garth Brooks, not Brett Favre. Garth Brooks released his self-titled debut album, which was both a critical and chart success, peaking at number 13 on the Billboard 200 and number two on the Top Country albums. This album contains Brooks' earliest hits, including his first ever single, Much Too Young to Feel This Damn Old. 
And wow. his first number one, If Tomorrow Never Comes, and the Academy of Country Music's 1990 Song of the Year and Video of the Year, The Dance. Oh. Thank you. I've, I had goosebumps and then they went away. <laughs> that last note didn't do it for you, did it? Sorry, it was a little flat. What gave me the goosebumps, seriously. Uh-huh. You ever call them goose pimples? Did you ever hear that? <laughs> no. I do not get, get goose pimples. I remember kids when I was young would say, I got goose pimples. <laughs> like, goose, but we're going to have to we edit some of these snorts we've got going. Yeah, today, we're, uh, we're cracking this morning. Okay. What gave me goosebumps quickly, and I think we actually have touched upon that in, in the past with podcast from Outside the Mic, is the song The Dance was written by, oh my goodness, am I going to forget who wrote it now? He was here. I just totally had a blank... Oh, my goodness. It was written by Tony Arata. Tony Arata. I was just going to clap. I thought we had the clap back. <laughs> We're about to clap back? We're going to clap back. We're going to get that clap back. We did the series of concerts and songwriting events years ago. It seems like a long time now. Around 2004 or 5 is when they started. And huh. we had Tony Arata here from Nashville. My buddy, wow. David, David Lee Brown, brought these great people that he met at the Songbird songwriters, which actually this kind of ties in with what we're going to be doing today. Ooh. It's sometimes you have songwriters that aren't the ones that um, that are uh, performing the song, for instance, the dance. Yeah. So just quickly, Tony Arata wrote the dance for years, was turned down at publishers who didn't like the song. Really? Garth Brooks heard him doing the song in a club and did it and took it to number one. So mm-hmm. yeah, and we met Tony, great guy. Um, probably you haven't heard of Tony Arata, or I've, maybe you heard me mention his name. I have not. I have heard of Garth Brooks. Yeah. How about Garth Gaines? <laughs> I thought that was his <laughs> you name. You mean Chris Gaines? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Chris Gaines. We were going to try to make it famous as oh, Garth Gaines. We did that. We did the episode. Though. We named it Garth Gaines. That's right. We did. So anyway, yeah, that's a cool one. I like that. that I'm kind of liking cool. today in music history. Yeah. We did. All, I've made so. sure to leave out all the Beatles mm-hmm. and all the Rolling Stones. <laughs> Though I had, I had to really search through. Cool. So, cool. Well, I guess you kind of segued us already. All right, that's you, it. Do Pretty you? We've history. got a fun thing. A uh, fun thing. That's a terrible way to introduce this thing. We've got a fun thing for you. Oh, um, I don't know. Maybe it's just a little bit. So Marty and I had a exciting <laughs> phone conversation <laughs> yesterday, and it went along the lines of, "Hey, man, you got anything for this episode this week? No." <laughs> Oh, do I do my part? Or you oh, can you can do, do your part. Hey, man, <laughs> we got anything for this episode this week? And I said, well, no. Yeah, I think you had said, I we're still getting together tomorrow. I have nothing, but I can come up with something. And I, <laughs> I said, ditto. Ditto. Yeah, ditto. So guess what we did? I don't know why I'm telling you. Guess what we did? We, did. Uh, we came up with something. <laughs> we, we co-crafted. Yeah. I don't know if that's the word. Ooh, I like that. This episode, and we're going to do it together a little bit. Maybe we'll do, you do one, I do one. But we're going to do songs that were made famous by other performers mm-hmm. and not the original songwriter. Yeah. Doesn't sound as cool, but it's really cool. So check it out. Are made more famous, perhaps, because oftentimes, <clears throat> well, and that's why I thought that was an interesting segue. Absolutely. Yeah. Because here is a song. The most amazing thing about the dance is the fact that he was turned down. I think it was for five years, perhaps. It's almost where like he had this song. 
Wow. It's almost like uh, Sylvester Stallone with the Rocky script. It is. It reminded me of that at the time. And it makes you wonder about, you know, some of these execs and these A&R people that they didn't have an ear to recognize that this song had the potential to go to number one. Well, then also spin it this way, like Sylvester Stallone, he was offered, yeah, he was offered something like $300,000 for the script. Yeah. Cause, but they didn't want him starring as Rocky. Right. And he turned it down. Yeah. He turned down $300,000. dollars hmm And it was the right move. Yeah. He, he, he quadrupled that, I'm yeah. sure, on this whole series of the Rocky films. And what if what if your buddy Tony didn't do his thing? Didn't didn't follow through, didn't keep at it. Well, how hard would that be in that situation too? I mean, you think about Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. You'd be tempted to. He had nothing before that. He and if I remember right, the story goes that him and his wife were pretty. They were like dirt poor, hardly oh, making it. And man. you get offered three hundred thousand dollars, and you have nothing, and you turn that down. Woo! I don't know if I could do that. That's pretty inspiring. <clears throat> yeah, that you would have the wherewithal and the commitment to your dream, to your passion, and be able to turn those down. How much money, though? I, I don't know if this is fact, but I want to say it was a couple thousand. Couple hundred thousand dollars. Well, I I told you, and here we go, getting off, but I'll make this really quick. We were involved with a friend who had written a script and it dealt with the subject of AIDS. And this is where I had written those songs, those rock and roll songs when I was in Oh, yeah. And he actually turned down, this is where it didn't work. He turned down an offer to have his his movie made. And it was, I think, over a million dollars. And then it never, after that, there you know, there wasn't another successive offer, unfortunately, for it. Oh, bummer. So, yeah. and See, and that's right. But I got to give him credit for, you know. Go ahead. Well, I'll just say, I guess if you look at Sylvester, I mean, he believed that it was worth more than that. But Oh, absolutely. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just not a very good gambler. Yeah, like, that's that's. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I only gamble on the sure bets. So yeah. if somebody offers me <clears throat> that much, and if I think it's of yeah. value... That's hard. That's why it would be hard. That's I remember hard. thinking back then, I'm like, how can he do that? You yeah. know, he's got an opportunity. And granted, it wasn't a huge studio at the time. And in fact, I think they had a actor who was um, somewhat C. Thomas Howell, who had been in E.T. He was the older brother. Oh, cool. I think was going to be tied to it. And he wasn't huge, but it had potential to get your first thing out. But then you look at Sylvester, man, and it worked for him. So maybe, he, him. maybe he was looking at that story, actually, too. Yeah, you never know. That's Let's call him up. Let's do, let's do it. We should actually. Yo, shout, out, shout out to my buddy Scott. Oh, Scott. I was thinking my Sylvester. Buddy, Shimon. No, oh. they were guys that were involved in that project. So back to us discussing what we we're going to do. What had given me the idea started with a potential misheard lyric. So I'm going to mm. run this one by you, Jared. Okay. And uh, I'm ready. It made me realize. Well, I'll tell you more about that after I, I do this. And maybe after I mishear it. I'm going to have to admittedly. What I've realized, and I think that's maybe part of the reason we haven't had as many misheard lyrics. Back in the day, you were listening to perhaps even on AM radio. Sure. But generally on a radio or in a car stereo, which back then they were, didn't have the fidelity that they have now. Right. <clears throat> even they though we the, talked they about... They had the infidelity. They had the infidelity. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly they did. They in a car, you never know. Anything's possible. Yeah. With, with <laughs> AM radio, anything's <laughs> yeah. possible. But I've listened to songs that were a misheard lyric for me. And then if I listen to them with headphones on, and granted, some of the songs nowadays, if you listen to it, it's a 
well, we've talked about that. It might be a crunched file, like an MP3 or something like that. Yeah, super compressed. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were listening in the day through a really good stereo or you had headphones on, it makes a difference. But it certainly does for me. If I listen now with headphones, sometimes I'm like, oh, now I know what that lyric is. Or if you, you read the lyric and then you hear it, you're easily convinced that you know what the lyric is. But right. this one, for me, for years on the radio, was a misheard lyric. And let's see if I can find the right spot of this song. and. Okay. We'll get nailed for copyright again. <laughs> so it's the song Shambhala. Shambhala. The Night of Shambhala. Three Dog Night. Three Dog you know Night. that song? I don't, but... No, oh, you might recognize it, though, okay. when you start to hear it. I know Three Dog Night, but I don't know that one. So it's... And the melody will, on this part, will go... Ba, 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 ba. That's the lyric I, that I didn't know. Okay. See if I have the right spot. I think it's... Oh, I do right know here. the song. Sorry. Okay. Here it is. You already get it? It's that right here again. Is it how high does your light shine? No, but you're close. Okay. See, now that I know it, it's how does your light shine? Oh, I just threw in an extra. I think. Yeah, I think it's how does your light shine when I looked it up. I always thought it was... uh, like ah, Mister Brightshine or something like oh that. It makes me sound stupid now. But, but you're right. Weird. If you were listening on like a little crappy radio or something, sure enough, you could you could mess it up. Yeah, it seems really yeah. So that that's good. That um that led me to something else. Fortunately, because right. I thought, well, that's a misheard lyric. Yeah, I had heard. And started to, especially I think because of doing those concerts sure. and, and meeting these Nashville songwriters who are behind the hits a lot of times. Your songwriter concerts, you said? Yeah. Okay. It was called the Songwriters Gallery Song- back Ooh. in the day. <clears throat> I, think I, I think I watched you at a young age do one of those. How old were you in 2005? You want me to do math? You want me to do math on a we're Jeez, recording on a Saturday? You want me to do math on that a Saturday? hard? You can tell me when you're born. Two thousand five. Okay, yeah. So this is going to be easy because I was born in ninety five. Oh yeah, so, so ten. Can you do that math? Ninety five to two thousand five. It's 95. ten. Okay, thank you, Jared. Yeah. So I you was were, young. <laughs> I was like what Griffin's age? You, you were like Griffin's Griffin? age, but you remember those, right? You I do. Go to the concert. I do, and I remember just going like, these guys are it. They're the Whoa. real deal. Yeah. I'm going to be like them someday. Cool. And all I played was ACDC music. Yeah. <laughs> no, if you were inspired uh, musically at all, then that means we were doing something good. We had big crowds for those, for this area, actually. I think we had two nights in a row we would do concerts, and we probably had, you know, this is nothing, but for a small local event, there was like 150 people a night. Well, and if you got somebody, because so. you had Craig Carruthers. Oh, yeah. You had a ton of Nashville guys come out. Yeah. Gene Nelson, so, Tony Arata. You guys Craig are really Carruthers. putting it on the map. That's cool. But nothing's like, like that is being done. T.S. Sellers. Who's who, that? Uh, also wrote, I Hope You Dance. Oh, really? T.S. Sellers. Mark Selby, who co-wrote with his wife, Tia, the song by Kenny Wayne Shepherd, Blue on Black. Do you know that song? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Blue on black. Don't put a burn on. Don't hold back. Do, 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 do. Go, Jarrett. Mm, nothing stays the same. <laughs> Gonna take you back. Oh, blue on black. Thank you. That was I, pretty good. I thought I remembered the song, and then you started singing it, and I wasn't <laughs> sure if I did. And maybe I got the. But wrong you song. ended right, and it made yeah. me realize I didn't know it. So okay. while well, doing those, made me realize that yeah, there's a lot of you kind of can take for granted, especially when you're younger. You hear a song on the radio, somebody performs mm-hmm. it, you figured they wrote the song. Sure. But 
I'd, I'd guess more times than not, they haven't actually written the song. And Three Dog Night is one of those bands because I knew that one of their big hits, One is the loneliest number that you ever do, yeah. that was actually written by Harry Nielsen. And so, and who was it? Per, who got made famous by Harry Nelson? Harry Which Nils- one? Who did it? Who was it made famous? Th- by? Three Dog Night. Oh, Three Dog Sorry. Night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. That was written by uh, in the same band as who did Shambhala. And then I looked yeah, it up right. and I was like, Well, I wonder who wrote Shambhala. And I'm like, Maybe they actually wrote that one. They did not. And, and thus led us to yeah, this episode. Yeah, that's the long way around. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, folks. There's a part two. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. Here we go. No, the guy. Have you ever heard of Daniel Moore? Nope. Daniel Moore. Tell me more. He wrote Shambhala. Okay. And what's interesting about Shambhala is that it was shortly after he wrote it, it was released. It had two fairly successful releases. One was by a guy named B.W. Stevenson, who I'd never heard of. God, that's a cool name. Yeah. B.W. Steve. Hello, my name's B.W. My name's B.W. Stevenson. Well, he was kind of a country dude. And uh, the versions don't sound a lot different, but we just heard... Uh, Three Dog Nights. For them, it went to they had if it would if it would a bit a bit of a but a booty bit a ba ah see senor did you understand that if it would have gone to number one I think it went to number three or four okay it would have been the fourth year in a row that they had a number one song oh wow yeah which I think had never been done at the time yeah but B W. Uh, his is he German by chance? Yeah, he's not. I think he's an American country guy. Oh, his okay. was kind of a little more country. I'm going to play you just a little piece of his. Sure. When I get through this, so his did better, I think, in Europe than theirs. But just a quick little glimpse. It's crazy at it. the difference in charts with the UK and the US. I mean, we just looked at it with this day in music. Whoever we were talking about, mm-hmm. it ran. I think it was Garth Brooks, wasn't or something? Ran four weeks in the US, like number one, and then in the UK it was like further down on the charts what's with the difference is it uh, yeah, just difference I'm, I'm in culture difference in taste can't be that different i think it's a little of both i mean huh. culturally you do have songs that go to number one like with another one i'm going to bring up here later it went to number one internationally oh wow! and you do have that happen but a lot of times you will see that and i don't know maybe it, it i'm always curious about that as well and it might have something to do with touring too maybe the band toured more over there and sure that's year, a good point so. Thank you. Thank you. I like making good points. You're a good point. Here's a little bit of BWs, just so you know, it's kind of a little more countryish. We'll hear. Dum 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 dum. Not interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that that got a snort. Yeah, I got a snort. So we, there we go. We've got BW, BW, and then we've got Three Dog Night. And let's see if we can find anything by Daniel Moore. I haven't really actually looked yet. Here we go. So Daniel Moore, the guy who wrote it. And I'd be... Here we go, back to the the basics. Ooh, bass line. What I wonder about this... I wonder, wonder who... I'm wondering if this was actually his demo version it would be neat to find that his original demo version because i bet yeah. this is it sounds a little produced i'm going to go a little ahead here to see what he sounds like because you wonder if maybe after three dog night made it a hit if he wouldn't be smart to re-release it himself and produce it a little more like they produced it 
Yeah, but it's kind of cool. Just not to interrupt, but it's kind of yeah. cool when you are able to listen to the demos. <clears throat> we were just uh, we were working on a but project, you, but you did interrupt. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> You had to not other people say not to interrupt, but I just interrupted. But you. let me go ahead and interrupt. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're working on a. You know this. We're working on a project for my wife and the studio, recording oh, yeah. some songs, and we were referencing. Have you ever heard of? Is that why you couldn't find my dongle? That can find your dongle to okay. plug your computer in. Sorry, there but uh, have you heard of the band Manchester Orchestra? They're kind of more of a heavier modern. Manchester Orchestra, yeah. not Mannheim Steamroller. No, no, okay. not a, I, if you ask Max, your son, I bet he will. Uh, he will know Manchester Orchestra. New it to me, rings a quiet bell. Yeah, they're sure, super yeah. good. So the lead singer Andy Hall has a side project. It's a solo project, and he calls it Right Away Great Captain. And, and on Spotify, we were referencing some of his tracks, and he had the demo versions of some of his early songs on there, and it was just cool because a lot of them, you know, he's a guitar player, so it started out acoustic guitar, but then you hear like the produced stuff yeah and it's like it's faster slower different key whatever and it's just cool to hear wow it, it was this mm-hmm. and then it became like that and, and i'm sure oh, we'll experience yeah. some of that with with the songs today but yeah it's just crazy the process uh you know you, you kind of have this idea in your head and then at the end game it's it's totally different oh yeah yeah i think that's what fascinated but fascinated me fascinates you today <laughs> This is terrible. You don't fascinated me. Fascinated. I've been doing pretty good and not <laughs> stumbling you, my words. Because you did that intro. That's why. I think it's because I'm Mel. Yeah, I'm DJ yeah, Mel. You did DJ I'm Mel. Gonna, I'm gonna blame it on him. He's a DJ on the Sirius XM radio, Cow Country yeah. Radio, three thirty nine point three. <laughs> That's AM radio, Cow Country. <laughs> if I if I screw up today, it's Mel. If I say something really brilliant and articulate, that'll be me. It's Marty. Okay, I'll blame it on Mel. Either way, it's me. So, what was most intriguing to me, I'm going to use a different word, when we did the Songwriters Gallery, is hearing these original versions of songs, like hearing Tia do uh, I Hope You Dance. I can't even remember the artist. It was a female artist that made that a huge hit. We'll, we'll do that as a fact check. Okay. Uh, hearing Tony Arata do the dance was amazing. Does he do the dance? Does he do that part? He kind of does, but it's different. I Actually, because I wasn't as familiar with the song prior yeah. to that, I had heard the Garth Brooks version, but I wasn't familiar enough with it to be attached to it, so I really loved Tony Arata's version even sure. more. Yeah. And I, it was just, as a songwriter, it's really cool to hear that raw, you know, here's a guy with uh, his guitar and his voice, and that's all you're getting. And you're hearing these lyrics, these powerful lyrics. Yeah. And you're hearing, obviously for him, there was a personal experience in writing that song as well at the time. So it was totally. really, yeah, really cool. So maybe for Daniel Moore, let me go ahead here just a little bit and see. Okay, so he's actually, he's got the harmonies in there too. Pretty close too. Ooh, this might be the part with a misheard lyric. I'll see if I can hear his even better. I think it is. Oh, it's not. It's not verse two. His sounds a little more country-ish. It sounds too. more like Southern California country kind yeah. of thing. You know, a little rock, a little country in it. You yeah. can see why the song was a hit just from the very start, though. It had. It was very... Three chords, baby. That's all you needed. Yeah, and then you had these cool harmonies, almost in a way. I think they referenced it in one of the things that I read as almost gospely with the Three Dog Night version mm. because of these big harmonies that were going on in the background. And it has a really cool bridge section. Um, it's His album was called, Daniel Moore's was called Riding a Horse and Holding Up the World. But he looks a wow. little older in the picture. 
Hmm. So it does make me wonder if he did not release this song later down the line. I if you've got another one, I do. While I you're doing in. that, I'm going to see if I can find like an original demo version of Daniel Moore's Shambhala. Okay, Let's or maybe do it. Mel will find. I it. might have you look up since you got your computer in front. Okay. I might have you look up music for these ones, but okay. uh, these ones that's weird. The, these ones. All right, so we're going to start with my first one. Mm-hmm. And we're going to look at all along the Watchtower. Jimi Hendrix. Okay. Who was it originally written by? I actually think I know this one. Go for it. Because I was doing, this was actually, I think, a month ago when I was looking at, um, I was intrigued by cover songs at that point in time and then never even brought it to the show at the time. But didn't that, all along the Watchtower, was that Bob Dylan? It was Bob Dylan, yeah. Oh, man. Good one, cool. good one. Cool, all right. So all the facts that I've got this from are from songfacts.com. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. my words, it's theirs, and I appreciate them doing the research for me. So originally written by Bob Dylan, um, the, the the who made it, obviously Jimi Hendrix made it famous. Um, and fun fact mm-hmm. from songfacts.com, mm-hmm. this was Hendrix's only top 40 hit in the U.S., Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, his influence out uh, just outpaced his his popularity, and he charted a few times in the UK, um, but where he rose to fame before making the big name for himself in America. So it really got more popular in the UK before uh, it came over into the US. But he did make the that was his song for the top forty, cool. not his song, but. Bob Dylan's. I don't remember the Bob Dylan version ever hearing that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you can find it, but I would love. I don't remember it either. Um, okay. Let's keep going. Yeah. The original version, the Bob Dylan, uh, the song is very slow, and so of course Jimi Hendrix's version has a is a little more impactful. Um, and then I think later Dylan uh, recorded his a, a heavier version of it, if right. I remember right. Right. Um, and this is a quote from Hendrix I thought was super cool, so I'm going to read it. Hendrix said. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Just like, I, I thought it was super cool, so I'm going to read it. I thought it was yeah. super cool, so I'm going to read it, and you're going to like it, because you're going to have to listen, unless you fast forward. Go ahead, baby. Okay. Hendrix yeah. said, all those people who don't like Bob Dylan's songs should read his lyrics. They are filled with the joys and sadness of life. I am, as Dylan, none of us, I, I am, as Dylan, none of us can sing normally. Sometimes I play Dylan's songs, and they are so much like me that it seems to me that I wrote... That I'm going to have to make this bigger. I can't see. Hold on. Yeah, I can't see it Stand either. Stand by. I am as Dylan? Yeah. What did he say? So I am as Dylan. None of us can sing normally sometimes. I play. It's, this is Hendrix, so you know, it's okay. not going to make total sense. Can't sing normally. Okay. I play Dylan songs, and they are so much like me that it seems to me that I wrote or I wrote them. It seems like I had wrote them. They're so, they're so similar is what he's saying. This mm-hmm. is choppy. Wow. I have the feeling that Watchtower is a song I could have came up with. But I'm sure I would never have finished it. Thinking about Dylan, I often consider that I'd never be able to write the words he manages to come up with. But I'd like him to help me because I have loads of songs I can't finish. Wow. Yeah. I, I wonder, if, I wonder if he me. was on a trip here because this is, this well, is no, hard I think it makes sense though. I, it does make sense to this me. This last line is good. I just lay a few words on the paper and I just can't go forward. But now things are getting better. I'm a bit more self-confident. That's really weird to me. That's cool. A legend like Hendrix mm-hmm. is having like self-doubt. Here. Right. Like, right. I'm not a good songwriter. I mean, I could have came up with this, but you know, every time I hear Dylan. Have you ever had that? Like you hear an artist and you hear their songs oh, yeah. and you're like, that's it. 
Oh, uh, yeah. That's what I wanted to say. I can't write anything. He's already written it. He's written what I wanted to say. I just had this conversation with Easton. She is really into Phoebe Bridgers. Have you heard of Phoebe Bridgers? You have mentioned her, yeah. I'm not super familiar with her stuff, but I know she, the name now. She yeah. was just nominated for a Grammy. I don't think she won, um, but she's kind of a you know in the spotlight up and coming right now yeah uh she just did the snl she performed for snl where she smashed okay. her guitar oh pretty cool like jimmy yeah yeah exactly <clears throat> hey, it was Pete full Townsend, yeah yeah smashing and she said Easton was like guitar every time i hear phoebe's songs it's like those were my words like that's what i was trying to say in mm-hmm. a song mm-hmm. but you just did it so now you just you just stole it you just not stole it but you just like the life is you've already done what i was trying to accomplish and I don't know if I have figured out who that is for me. Yeah. Who would that be for you? Well, who they're writing, you're always just resonating with it, and you're like, God, that's it. They, they said it perfectly. Have you ever had that thought? I don't feel necessarily like there's one specific person, but I understand that whole thought process. Yeah. And it's that universal aspect of a song. I know I'd like to think, you know, I really love Sting's lyrics and oh, Jackson yeah. Brown's lyrics, and I'd always, I'd like to think I, I could write are. a lyric like You're, that someday, but... I'm going to pay I'm you just, a compliment. You, to me, are a three-way split combination of Sting. <laughs> just listen. Don't okay, lie. Okay. Sting, mm-hmm. Bruce Hornsby, and Jackson Brown. That's who you are to me. I think Mel is that. Yeah. <laughs> DJ you, Mel? Yeah, DJ Mel. You know, Mel, DJ Mel's a little no. more Tim McGraw. Yeah. <laughs> Billy Ray Cyrus. Uh, with a hint of maybe Mick Jagger. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jared. That's very nice of you to say. <laughs> this is not like, uh, uh, this isn't about me. Okay, right okay. Now, now you no, do I'm me now. Kidding. You yeah. do me. Oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a combination of uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix and, uh, and Bob Dylan. I'm just saying. Shut up. up. <laughs> no, getting back on track yeah. to that is there, it's the universal thing. And I think that's perhaps that's why you do get these songs that have such a mass appeal. And as soon as you said that, where he, he mentioned that it feels like a song I could have wrote. Yeah. You know, for people, and there's definitely one coming up here that I've got, which probably falls into the same category. We're all human beings, you yeah. know? So we resonate with a certain vibe right? a song. And that's the magic in music, obviously. That's why people, and you know, somebody always went, did you hear this song? You got to hear this song. You know, that's when you feel that way about a song. You feel very powerful about it. It's yeah. like a personal involvement Absolutely. with the song. So yeah. yeah, I get that. It's cool to hear Jimmy it's mention a, that. Yeah, and that's yeah. It, just to hear, like I said, this legend who is having this self-doubt, but also this admiration for, you know, just makes it makes him more of a human musician rather than this yeah. untouchable legend that, you yeah. know, he has earned the right. To you know who focus. does come to mind, and I did. I, I've been thinking about it a little bit while I'm listening and focused on what you're saying. Who's that? Darius Rucker. Is, kinda, you kind of remind me of Darius. Rucker. I remind you. That's a huge yeah. compliment. I love right. Darius. And you know what's funny? Yeah. We're yeah. going to be talking about a little Ooh, bit of Darius today. This is like wow. We're getting that sort of psychedelic vibe going on. Yeah. All of a sudden. Wow. You can now from now on. You can <clears throat> call me Hootie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I demand it. Okay, Hootie. Okay, never mind. I changed my mind. Can I just call you Blowfish? No. Okay. God. Do you, okay, did you find your song? <laughs> oh, I thought you were up. Oh, you're done. I paid that you was a three-way yours, compliment with Bruce Hornsby, uh, Sting, and freaking uh, Jackson Brown. You call me uh, Hootie? No, that's a compliment. That's I do that it, sure. ladies and gentlemen. So, I only want to be with you. I was going to stay along the path of Three Dog Night, and I'm glad I didn't, because I think I looked at your notes, and you might have a... 
Did you possibly, look at my notes? I, I sneaked a peek at your notes. But what I'm going to do instead, and this, have you, do you know who Harry Nelson is? Nope. <clears throat> Excuse I don't me, know anybody call. today. I got to eat something. I haven't eaten something yet yeah. while, we're, <laughs> while we're doing this. Today. I really thought things were going well because I didn't hear any crunching or mushing. Or... Okay. You've never heard of Harry Nelson? Nope. Okay. Don't this have a Harry Nelson. generation. It's not a gap, folks. It's a canyon. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> it feels like that. But I bet you know some of Harry Nelson's music. I'm sure. Yeah. So I did mention already the song One by Three Dog Night. Yeah. yeah. One is long. That was Harry Nelson who wrote that song. Oh. And Harry Nelson, I remember seeing a documentary. I wish I remembered the title of it, and I will mention it later because it's worth watching for anybody. It's a really brilliant documentary about a really brilliant man who I think struggled in one sense because he had his very first song, which was a a hit, but not a major hit, was uh, everybody's talking at me. I don't hear a word they're saying, only the echo from my memory, hmm. whatever. You probably don't know that, but it was from a movie. And it was the uh, Dustin Hoffman movie. No. Oh. Um, oh, now I can't think Pandemic. of the title of it. No. And I thought I had it up here in front of me. It's not good. Was that a Dustin? Oh, that was a Dustin. Wasn't it? Yeah. Movie, wasn't it? It was, um, it was the cowboy one with the guy. Oh, my gosh. Okay, folks. Good, bad, and the ugly. I'm going to bring the clap back in this one. If I think about it. <laughs> oh, thank you. That was not it. That was not it, Jarrett. But it was Sorry. the song everybody's talking. And then he had one which was covered by Three Dog Night and became a hit. I believe he had several others that did well for other people. Do you, do you know the song? Put the lime in the coconut and eat it all up. But that was Harry Nelson. Oh, well. wow. So, yeah, interestingly, and I had forgotten about this, is that he covered a song, and this was later in his career. So he had songs that he had written that became more successful, as we've said, covered by other people. And it was frustrating to him, I sure. believe, throughout his career that that happened. And it didn't happen like a dozen times or anything like that, but it happened enough to where he was kind of frustrated by it. So he covers a song, and I believe he had gone through, this is like one of those songs that's a big breakup song. Do you remember the song, I can't live if living is without you? Oh, yeah. Well, who, okay, maybe not his version, who, who redid it? Is there a modern... This is what's interesting. Okay, I'm he, getting ahead of myself here. He, he did the song, but it was written by Badfinger. Oh. Way back in like 1970, he redid the song. So he was covering somebody's song and it went to number one internationally oh. and wow. won a Grammy. So he finally gets his number one hit song and it's one he didn't write. So how does that work? So the songs that he wrote... They mm -hmm. became a hit by others, and yeah. then he covered somebody, yeah. and that's the only song he had that really got not that the went only to one, one. That, that went to number one. Yeah, man. Isn't Initially, you have the thought of, "What's wrong with me? How come nobody likes it when I sing my songs?" You know, and then yeah. he's like, "Well, how come nobody likes the songs that I write when I sing it?" It would be an not that that's his that's yeah. his voice, but I'm just, yeah, that's that was, my thought. My inner dialogue was, well, that's kind of mean. Well, the amazing thing is, from the documentary, you sounded just like him. <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, that perspective had to be, and I believe they touched on that in the documentary. Really, kind of incredible. Yeah, you've got other people re releasing your music, making it a big hit. Finally, you, in a way, you're it's gratifying. You finally have your number one hit, but then it's. 
interesting because it's like, oh, damn, it's not a song I wrote. It's not a song I wrote, yeah. So you're not going to get all the publishing from it as well. Right. Uh, but why don't you... So I'm going to touch on that because then this led me down a rabbit hole with this song. Oh. And I've got something interesting I'm going to share, but I want to get one of yours in here before and then I'll come You're going back. You're going to throw me a bone? So, okay. Yeah. So I'll this one is similar to the misheard lyric that you had uh, because the one that I picked was kind of a misheard lyric for me from when I was younger. Okay. The song's Cocaine, made oh. famous by Eric Clapton. <laughs> gotcha. The original writer was, you're eating. I'm Why sorry. are you eating? I, I just did that to pretend I'm eating. That's all. Crunching a package. You're not pretending. You're eating. Okay. Written by, can you guess who? Cocaine was written by not I, Eric Clapton. I would have thought Eric Clapton. J.J. Kale. Oh, I, I believe I have heard that now. Oklahoma like, blues guitarist J.J. Kale. Okay. So let me just look at my notes here. This was written in, uh, and originally recorded by the Oklahoma blues guitarist J.J. Kale. Uh, Clapton gave Kale a huge boost he record when he recorded Kale's song After Midnight. After mm. midnight, we're gonna we're let it all hang out. After midnight. That was in 1970. Um, and he released it as his first solo single. So what we see here is that you'll you'll see there's a pattern. I think Eric Clapton had a huge appreciation for JJ Kale's writing. Right. And this is really before JJ Kale became popular on his own. Cool. Yeah. So, Kale recorded Cocaine on his fourth album, Troubadour, and that was released in 1976. So, again, later. And that was issued the song as the B-side of his song, Hey Baby. Are you familiar with that one? I am not. I am, actually. I love J.J. Kale, but I don't know that one. But I'm wondering if it's the same version, and I might have to look it up, because Ted Nugent had a song called Hey Baby. I wonder if it was a... But I wonder if it's the same song. I wonder if it's the same song, yeah. So look that up. Hey, baby. When Clapton was looking for his songs for his Slow Hand album, mm-hmm. which that's a, just a beautiful guitar album name, by the way, um, he once again looked to Kale, and he chose Cocaine, which became the first song on the set. Uh, Clap- Clapton would later cover Kale's song Traveling Light, and in t- 2006, the pair teamed up to record an album together called The Road to Escondido. Okay. Have you, are you familiar with that one at all? I am not. Me neither. No. So when I first heard Cocaine, I heard, and and when I was researching, it kind of it kind of weirded me out that I couldn't find information on this. So now I'm thinking that I had it wrong, and this is why I think I had a misheard lyric, similar to you when I was younger. Yeah. I remember hearing there was a bunch of controversy around this song because there there's the line... That I thought at the time said, uh, well, I thought the controversy was around that the original lyrics was, she don't mind, she don't mind, she don't mind cocaine. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so Eric Clapton had to later change it to, she don't like, she don't like, she don't like cocaine. I cannot find that anywhere. Huh. So I don't know if I made that up in my head. Have you? Did you hear that before? I, it almost resonates a little bit. Please like say you did, did because then I'm not crazy. Oh, I did. But you know what? Yeah. I heard it from you. Uh, <laughs> probably. <laughs> so I think yeah. I was wrong because so you made all, it all, the, all the lyrics that I could find on this song is she don't lie. She don't lie. She don't lie. Cocaine. She don't lie. She don't lie. Yeah. So I don't get that. So I look further into it and this song is really an anti-drug song. Okay. You wouldn't think of it that way, but a lot of the references like she don't lie, she don't lie, she don't lie, cocaine, meaning like 
cocaine is going to do what it's going to do to you. It isn't yeah. going to lie. She don't lie. She don't lie. She don't lie. Okay. Um, there's a few other, if you look at the lyrics and that's what Eric Clapton in, in, in an interview, he said, you really need to look at the lyrics because it's an anti-drug song. Right. Um, <laughs> ah, what I'm trying to think of the one lyric and I can't, I can't, it's not coming to my mind if it does later. Great. Um, anyways, so he made this popular um, and, and it, and it stood out to me because I had the words wrong and then to find out that it was originally a JJ Kale song. Right. Crazy. I think this is another one of those, you know, it just depends on how people perceive the song as well, because I would have never considered it back in the day. You wouldn't listen to it and right away you're like, yeah, this is an anti-drug song. No, you, you would listen to it and go, hmm, Eric Clampton likes cocaine. Well, but. and on the other hand, though, the people that it was such a hugely embraced song by people. And I've mentioned this before when I was in a band that was the most requested song and this was back really? in the, the mid '80s. I do remember uh, you early to that. mid '80s, and everybody's like, "Play cocaine, play cocaine." And then you talk. He's like, "Have you ever done cocaine?" No, <laughs> but they just—they were fascinated by the song. Yeah, it's like in order to play it, you've had to have done cocaine or something. Well, you would—you th- would think. I don't know. It's just a catchy song. Maybe it just it's had a, to do with that. I think it's a great rock song. Oh yeah, I'm not crazy about you know. I don't. I don't partake. Uh-huh. But I think it does kind of have that element of. This is a rock song. This is yeah. a guitar rock song. This is cool, you know, whatever. Well, if you remember, we refused to do it, really? which was kind of silly when I look back because everybody wanted to hear it, but we were like, everybody's doing that song. Everybody requests that song. We're going to be different. Yeah, we were being yeah. stubborn. Like, we're not going to do it. I never really gave a lot of thought to the lyrics. I think it was more about that was just the hook. That was a really good hook. For well, a to song, me, I think. a lot of these famous rock songs you look at the lyrics and it's like they don't make sense right away right a lot of eagle songs don't make sense this was another one for me that it was just like you know uh the 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 lyric if you want to get down down on the ground cocaine I that's mean, what i'm like, wondering what are they actually? yeah it's like well, okay what do you what, what do you mean if you want to hang out you gotta take her out cocaine yeah she don't lie she don't lie that's what it says here and she don't lie yeah so i did lose you want to kick them blues cocaine i don't know that's <laughs> to me that's pro cocaine yeah. it's like oh you're you're down in your luck here have some cocaine your day is done and you want to ride on cocaine i i bet jj kale if i had to guess wrote this song after experiencing doing a cocaine. trip. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Which it's not promoting it necessarily. Yeah. But we know we've, we, we know, well, we know JJ, we know what well, you were doing. No, we know enough about you naughty little boy through doing this show, especially you naughty little boy about how much experimentation there has been in the drug world with music, artists, whatever. It's and a tangled a web. Died. It's a tangled yeah, web that, that is woven between there the you two. Go. <clears throat> they may have died as a result, but uh, sure enough, interesting. Okay, show enough. All right, was sure. that enough time uh, for you? I, I, that's enough time for me. Okay, absolutely. Though I did find out in the meantime that the song I was thinking about that was called "Hey Baby" was in fact written by Derek St. Holmes. It was the only song that he wrote on that Ted Nugent album. Not that Ted Nugent wrote all the other songs. I don't know who wrote those, but he was a phenomenal songwriter. Ted Nugent. <laughs> <laughs> You looked at me. <laughs> I had a straight freaking face and you still do. I was joking. Uh, I, what does yeah, that say? I don't know. I guess I think that says that I, that I read enough about Ted Nugent to know that he didn't write all those songs. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. I don't know who wrote. Do you remember the song Stranglehold? Oh, Stranglehold, baby. Yeah. 
I, I wonder who wrote that one because that song I always loved. And there was a song by you two later. That was, and we've touched on this before where songs sound alike and sometimes mm-hmm. there's been lawsuits as a result. Yeah. I'm not, I'm really surprised that you two never got hammered for their song, uh, uh, Bullet. I think it's called Bullet. Oh my gosh. Here I'm going again, folks. I apologize. We're, we're referencing way too much for yeah, our brain this Yeah, we morning. do. But there's a song that the Bullet the Blue Sky. Mm. Thank God my brain kicked in and worked Ta-ting. there. And if you'll, we'll listen to those at some point and compare them, you and I, because sure, sure. Uh, probably afterwards, we don't have time to look it up now because yeah. we got to get on. So moving on, I was looking at the song Without You. And even though I had been familiar with that song, and that was at a time, uh, Harry Nelson took that to number one, I believe it was in like 73. So that was just when I was starting to get to that age where you're interested in dancing with girls and i think that was one of those songs that was a slow dance big Mm. hit back in the day in junior high but i didn't know much about the song obviously at the time i didn't i don't even think i knew who harry nelson was for sure i certainly didn't know that it was written by badfinger but here's where the rabbit hole got really Mm. interesting (laughs) so i find out and i'm reminded that he hadn't written the song because i do remember as i mentioned in the documentary hearing that but as I looked into it and I looked at uh, the band Badfinger, do you remember offhand? You probably don't remember any Badfinger songs. I don't. You don't? I'm a bad, bad finger. You're a bad, bad finger. Fan. Well, this led me to something that we'll have to touch on, I think, in a later show because they were the very first. I'm so excited. I'm going to have to breathe here. I'm going to breath. <laughs> they were the first band. That was signed to uh, Apple Records, which was the Beatles. Oh, label. yeah. What happened to that? Well, and that's what's interesting. The it was started in 1968, mm-hmm. and it dissolved five years later in 1973. So it just didn't really. And I don't know. That's why I think we're going to have to research that later. And that figure could be out an episode. Why, yeah, I Apple think it Records. Could be why that dissolved? And why did Apple not pick up Apple Records later? Why didn't they? Yeah, <laughs> I don't think they existed. So, 1968, time, you said, is when they formed that. They, Man, yeah, isn't that crazy? 68 and 69 were such huge, oh, yeah. milestone years for music. Got a peak there on that milestone. Milestone. Years. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were Melstone years. Melstone. What they were. But what's with this Mel character? We they need to, they need were. To... They were huge years, and that was when the Beatles had a lot to do with that. Yeah. Not that they get all the credit, but certainly they went from, and when I was looking at, which will be included in our later episodes about Woodstock, is that was part of that whole um, acceleration into that sort of music out of just folk. Folk was hugely popular. Sure. You had Dylan and Joan Baez and uh, Pete Seeger, all these other people. Glenn Miller. Yeah. And then it was Bob Dylan went electric which was very controversial at yeah. first. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a very big time. And this band, I know you, uh, offhand, you might not be able to name any Badfinger songs, but what's interesting, their first hit, and I didn't realize this as well, is that it was the Beatles label, but they also helped write and produce the songs. So do you remember the song? If you want it, here it is. I can get it. it. But you better worry because it's going. Better hurry because it's going fast. So you recognize that song? Oh, yeah. Written by Paul McCartney. Oh, wow. Produced by Paul McCartney. What? Badfinger released it and it became a hit. Did he just write it for them? I think he probably did. And, you know, Paul McCartney's probably got 
you know, a dozen songs. It's probably another one that's written for a lot of people, maybe. I think so. And I think if we looked into that, we would realize. So on that note, I gotta, I'm going to have to look this one up really quick. Is this a new rabbit hole? Should I do one no, of mine? this is part of my rabbit hole. And this is getting, it's going to be long, but it's really fun. Okay. Um, there's another song produced by another Beatle by Badfinger. And what I want to do is I want to see if you can guess who produced it. Because when I listened to it, I kind of had a feeling right away. I was like, oh, if this was a Beatle, it might have been. Produced by another Beatle, yeah. uh, not Paul McCartney. Yeah. Okay. I, I gave you a pretty big clue, but uh, that makes it almost too easy. See what you okay, think. Ringo Starr. Here we go. Oh, okay. Sorry. Here we go. Listen. I remember finding out <laughs> Totally. Do you recognize the song? I, first, I do recognize the song, and I and I have a guess. What's your guess? It's day after day. I give my love to you. Beautiful. We're singing a lot today. George Harrison. I hope you like that outside. You're right, George Harrison. Is it? Yeah. So, and I don't so know if right. he wrote it. Also has like a Gordon Lightfoot sound too. But go ahead. Well, it's interesting because now, and I wouldn't have made the connection when I was that young, but those two big hits for Badfinger, neither of them went to number one, but being produced, one written by a Beatle, they have a Beatles flair to them. They totally do. I wonder if, you know how sometimes a band will come out and it's really developed by a much popular, almost like a, a, a legend a legendary artist has like endorsed this younger band and they really take, takes them under their wing. I wonder if Badfinger was a product of the Beatles. It seems they, now they, they really took them in or something like that. Well, and know. it makes you wonder if maybe that's why it dissolved. Maybe they realized to, and, and this is just a guess and we'll see when we research it, but for them, if they were writing and producing, it may be, Maybe later on they decided that's going to be too much work, but also this is sounding like us. So if these bands are becoming successful because of our sound, I don't know. It's just an interesting thing. Yeah, you're to, like, do to I theorize. want to share that? I don't know. Yeah. yeah, or maybe they didn't have the same success if they weren't writing and producing. Right. And they were already kind of getting burned out and obviously wanting to spend time like McCartney on his own career. Right. So it's like, why would I do Paul McCartney in the wings and then have to be managing this record label? And doing as this well? thing. Sure. That so. makes sense. That makes sense. Well, interesting. So this is not where it ends though, Jim. Oh my gosh. Okay. But you know what we could do? This is kind of interesting. Do you have another one? I have one more. Okay. Where are we at time wise? We are we're hot hot on the trail. I don't know. I'm not of looking. being the longest episode ever. Yeah, something like that. We're near we're the hour. Near no hour. worries. Okay, I can I can do mine as a fairly quick wrap up. So this will be neat. We'll like segue in and out of this story. Now we know a little more about Badfinger and then I'll give the, the last depth of the rabbit hole. You give me your next one first. Let's do that. This is a lot. I can't, this is a lot to follow up on, but it's good. Not, See, I it's mean, like, I, stay tuned. I'm following up a little hootie. Not really though. Hootie. Okay. So we're doing, <clears throat> I, c- I could not, not do this song. Does that make Hoot. sense? Could not, not do this song. Hoot? Not shut your who hootie not hootie me no we're not talking about him yet okay I'm so confused we're talking about wagon wheel oh made famous by old crow medicine show the chorus was written by hootie no (laughs) hootie comes in later I I set you up for failure I'm sorry chorus was written by Bob Dylan Darius Rucker oh my god hootie 
Okay. So it's funny. I thought about that song. When I was <laughs> did you really? About you? Yeah, and, of yeah, course. Yeah, I thought you did that song. So I well, did. So yeah, I've done it. You. I've done it. Yeah. And well, too many times. Yeah. There you go. So the song, just kind of a backstory. The song describes like a hitchhiking journey south along the eastern coast of the United States from New England um, into the northeast eastern side to the intended destination of Riley, North Carolina. I did not know that. And and how that kind of blends in with with. Uh, uh, Darius Rucker, I think he spent he he did an album that was pretty much all. A lot of the videos and the songs were taking place like North Carolina, Riley, uh, the Riley North Carolina region. Okay, uh, I forget what album it was, but it was one of his country newer country albums. <clears throat> so it wasn't a Bob Dylan song, but the chorus was. It was a Bob Dylan song. So oh, Bob was. Dylan had a song, and basically it was described as like the chorus was super good. Um, but the the verses were just mumbly, you know, mumbly Dylan stuff. It wasn't anything captivating, and so mumbly Dylan stuff. Yeah, I've I've got it in here. Let me just keep reading. So, so the flattering. chorus and melody for the song comes from a demo recorded by Bob Dylan during the Pat Garrett and Billy the Kids sessions with the the title of "Rock Me Mama" is what it was first called. Okay. So Catch Secor of Old Crow Medicine Show um, added partly like an autobiographical verse. Uh, mm-hmm. Verses, I should say, to the Dylan's unfinished song. So, Old Crow Medicine Show, the 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 cat Catch Secor, he wrote the verses. The cat, yeah, Catch yeah. Secor. Yeah. Okay, was that cat, his nickname, the cat? No, I don't know. Was it Hootie? I was just, yeah, it's not Hootie. Catch him, Hootie. I'll tell you when Hootie comes <laughs> in. Going. So he wrote the verses. So Old Crow Medicine Show did technically co-write this song with uh. Bob Dylan. This newer version. Bob Dylan had a song called. Rock Me Mama. Gotcha. With the original chorus, Rock Me Mama, Mama Like a Way. Yeah. yeah. But with with different verses. Gotcha. <clears throat> so, how do you on. do that? That's interesting because you'd have to approach Bob Dylan. Yeah. And he I think he was cool. I think they like ended up getting together and I wonder and how they dealt stuff. with the publishing for that because he's That's already a good got a point. Yeah. I'm, maybe they just claimed it as two songs. So like Bob Dylan had Rock Me Mama. Maybe. And then Old Crow has Wagon Wheel. Same yeah. choruses, Interesting. but different songs. So there's know, something else something we like can that. delve into later. Go ahead. Yeah. So, um, Delvin. Yeah. So, Catch Secor, he, he writes these verses um, to Dylan's unfinished song, utilizing the Rock Me Mama part in the chorus. Gotcha. Um, it was included on Old Crow Medicine Show's major label debut, OCMS, in 2004. So, that's when Wagon Wheel was debuted there under Old Crow Medicine Show. And it became their most popular recording and a bluegrass standard. So Old Crow, oh, I don't know if you're familiar with Old Crow Medicine Show, but they are very bluegrassy. Simply by name. And Ketchum was in that band. Yep, that was his, uh, well, yeah, Ketch was in that band. That was his band. He was the, I believe he was the singer of that band. Yeah. So the song was certified gold by the Recording Industry Association of America in November 2011. Um, I guess you're right. Maybe his full name is Ketchum. Uh, Secker was just 17 when he wrote this song. That's crazy. So the verses that he wow. wrote on the song, he was only 17 years old. Wow. He described it to NPR as an autobiographical daydream that you might have in between classes. You know, if you're flunking math. Then you might decide that you want to write a song about hitchhiking away from New England and going back down south where you come from. Hmm. So that's kind of where, and if you listen to the song, it's very much... And if you look at the Darius Rucker music video... Yeah. 
that's what it's all about. It's this this cat backpacking. He's following the railroad tracks. He jumps the rails. Blah blah blah. And he's and he's making his trek to is whatever his destination for this, this song. It's this Riley. Cat catch him. I'm just all about cats. Yeah, <clears throat> and that's what you said the first time, right? That's cat what catch him. This cat catch him. Yeah, cat catch. Kind of like DJ. Got it. Mel. You got all these ketchup and cats up <laughs> too. So <laughs> it's subliminal. I wanted everybody to start thinking about ketchup and getting hungry. You call it ketchup or catsup? <laughs> I say ketchup. You say catsup? No, but I've seen it written that way. No way. Like, catsup. Get to get it. That's okay. another episode. Sorry, Hootie. Go ahead. Okay. In walks Hootie. So Darius Rucker. <laughs> <laughs> Good timing. Darius Rucker and his Capitol Records label mates uh, and frequent tour mates, Lady Annabellum, mm-hmm. um, teamed up to re-record this song for Rucker's 2012 album, True Believers. And I believe it's True Believers is the one where the song's really... Uh, center themselves around Riley, North Carolina. Okay. At least the music videos do from the songs. Okay. So this version was a huge hit, uh, charted at uh, number 15 on the U.S. Hot 100 and number one on the country charts. Wow. Yeah. It was a big hit when Rucker did this. It was kind of his... It's a fun song. It was. It's not necessarily his like big country bang because he had a lot of good country songs before I think this album came around, but it definitely just like skyrocketed to... Wow at this point a modern country legend so it was no doubt bigger obviously it was bigger for him than it was for old medicine i think it was comparable okay it's like this song just keeps living through the performers so how darius gets this idea to record this song is kind of cool so uh rucker had told the boot um, mm-hmm. And other reporters at a media event that he has his 17-year-old daughter, Carrie, to thank for bringing the tune to his attention. So this is an interview. Uh, this is words straight from, from Darius. Hootie. Somebody had straight from Hootie. It was a little Hootie Who from Hootie. Somebody yeah. had played Wagon Wheel for me years ago. And he explained it was one of those songs that I didn't really get. So I'm at my daughter's high school talent show. And I'm sitting in the audience with the family. We were watching my daughter and the faculty band gets up. It's just the faculty from her school and they play Wagon Wheel. And I'm sitting in the audience and they get to the middle of the chorus and I turn to my wife and I go, I've got to cut this song. I'm serious. This all happened in three wow. and a half minutes for four minutes while they were playing this song. So he gets the idea huh. from the faculty at his daughter's school performing yeah. the song. He goes, oh, I got to do this song. Wow. Yeah. So. Wow. That alone, I mean, then launches his career even further as a country no artist. And Darius Rucker did something that I'm a, I'm not a huge fan of Darius, but I'm a, I am appreciate him. Mm-hmm. And it's the same reason why I appreciate Dave Grohl. They had these past careers. Darius was this cool 90s rocker, Hootie and the Blowfish, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what we know him as, Hootie. Right. And then early 2000s, he puts on this new persona of this country artist, this mm-hmm. modern pop country artist. Mm-hmm. And has a whole nother leg to his career now. Yeah. And he is he's performing all the time, Grand Old Opry. I mean, he's he's super successful. He's charting on country radio. Yeah. It's not I'm just fascinated by that because it's not common that A, it's not common that you can be successful in music to begin with. Yeah. It's a hard thing to get into. Genres. And then to have a second career at it. Right. Yeah, your past career, you know, your 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 status is gonna help you. Mm-hmm. But you really have to because you've set this this stage over here with this past career you had as this rocker or whatever. Yeah. This next thing you do has to be great. So it's even more pressure. I don't know. I just have a huge fascination for it. Taylor Swift did it. 
Taylor Swift, kind of. Yeah, no, you're right. I'm not a huge T-Swift fan. <laughs> she's she's another one that's written she a did. bunch of stuff, and I'm probably going to get some flack from my wife because she's a huge Taylor Swift fan. Uh, she did do it. She started out country mm-hmm. and went pop. So I'm, I'm proud of Taylor. Yeah. She's great. my actual daughter. Did you know that? I didn't. Uh, I didn't tell you that story. Isabel and okay. Taylor Swift. There. I guess I haven't told my wife either. So <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, t- let's, let's let's dive further into that. No, but, oh, let's not for the next hour. Uh, uh, I think that's fascinating, and I have a question. Can okay. in, in your reading, yes, did Darius Rucker make that choice based on where his true passion lied? Was maybe Hootie and the Blowfish something that was self, not self, but um, co-created with a publishing company, a record deal, or was it just like he was in that groove with his band and then he decided he wanted to do country? What What do you think triggered that choice for him? I don't know what the fact is, but if I had to speculate, mm-hmm. just like anything, you have to. Uh, it, things kind of run its course. Yeah. And I think the, the downside to 90s rock, mm-hmm. 90s music, is it didn't have the longevity that 60s, 70s, 80s music had. Really, your 90s artists hmm. lived in the 90s, hmm. and then we didn't hear much from them after that. Hmm. If you think about Hootie, you think about, well, I, I, I can't even name some oh, 90s artists right now. But they're, they're, they, they're famous for that time. Now, you enter into the 2000s, that's even worse, because the longevity decreases even more. I think that's just the nature of the industry now too but i think that's there's more music how many artists and i know we're still living in the times but 60s 70s artists artists they carried their career Mm -hmm. further into these new eras of music yeah you know and so you're not really seeing that too much with 90s and that's my speculation and i could be wrong because i haven't really done the research you i could be wrong for the first time in my life (laughs) i'm just preemptively putting out there that i'm aware that's a possibility. Everybody knows we're the authority right here on this on this little podcast here. I'm just kidding. We do speculate. We we like to speculate about stuff like this because this is what flips our trigger. I think it's fascinating, but I do feel like it is partly because of the industry. Because back then you had radio play mostly. Sure. So yeah. you started getting right away classic rock stations. Mm-hmm. Who were playing stuff that people wanted to hear because they missed that from their you know generation or their you know maybe high school times or whatever it was could be. But then you get to the point where around you know the the two thousands jump onto the scene and now you've got all these things where you can access music in so many different ways. Yeah. So it, I'm sure it's there's probably there's a lot of factors that go into that, but it's. Partly, you have a lot more music in the first place. Absolutely. I mean, and music that's the historically preserved. And I think you have to blame so, some of it on the listeners as well. Oh, yeah, it could be too. We are yeah. such a on-demand oh, society yeah. now yeah. that we, yeah. we chew them up and spit them out yep. as fast as we can get it. Yeah. It's ever-changing, and it's hard. I'm getting really sad. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Well, yours took a lot longer, so that's it, folks. We're done. No, I want to hear. (laughs) I'm going to try to have to wrap this up, though. Have to try to try to have to. Try to have to? I'm going to try to have to wrap this up really quick. That is fascinating, and I've always wondered that about Darius. You know, what what prompted his change uh, to become Darius and not Hootie? Because I know if I was called Hootie, I'd want to be called Hootie till the day I died. That's all I can say. <laughs> and you're gonna, you're gonna be called Hootie till the day. You, hey, Hootie, who, Hootie? 
I bet somebody started saying that, like, Hootie. And he's like, no, nah, I can't be called Hootie anymore. <laughs> he's like, yeah, that ship has sailed. Yeah, that's like John Cougar. He was John Cougar, and then he's John Cougar Mellencamp. And then he's just John Mellencamp. Why did he you ditch the Cougar name? Well, I think it was a... Because he got older? I bet it was a publisher or a, you know, a record label that said, John Mellencamp, no, you got to be John Cougar. That's cool. That does seem like a like a yeah. older time cool thing to say. And then as it carried on, it's like, yeah. hey, dude, you got to ditch the Cougar thing. Or maybe even he himself might have said, yeah, I'm going to choose a cooler moniker. I'm going to be John Cougar. And then that, once you became successful, you're like, why not use my real name? Might be simpler to do that. Sure. And then they called him Koo and Who. Cootie. Hootie. <laughs> oh, you're saying it started way back in John. I did say I was going to have to try you are to doing more than up. just speculating, my oh, friend. Oh, my goodness. Point. Okay, so we go back to continue on with the story. We were talking about Badfinger mm-hmm. and how they were the first ones on the Apple record label. Mm-hmm. They had written the song and not, this was before joining Apple, they had written the song Without You. The one that Harry Nilsson took to number one. I hate to do this, but can yeah. I just stop you? Yeah. This song is famous for everybody singing it. Uh, what is what is the lyrics to the chorus? The the hook. Line? I can't live if living is without you. Have you ever heard I people? Live. I can't live a little bit without you. Like they just skip over oh, that yeah. part. Have that's you? one of those. I think that's <laughs> one of them. Where they do because it's a tongue twister. Yeah. Well, now say it again. What is it? I can't live if living is without you. I can't live. I can't give anymore. If living is without you. Yeah. And for me, the reason, and I loved the song, but I guess, I don't know if it had to do with, you know, it's just maturity getting older. And sometimes I would look back on a song and I would think, okay, that's a great song, but it's so, it's so codependent in a way. <laughs> yeah. And and that's what's interesting about what I'm going to share with you here. There's songs like, um, uh, I Can't Breathe too. There, oh, I don't want to, don't want to, without you, I don't want to, ah, see, I'm doing it again. But there was another song, there's songs like that, like basically I'm nothing without you and I'm going to just be done, yeah. you know? And you hear about that or you've had friends who are in a relationship and then they broke up and later they're just like they, I can't live, man. Yeah. and My life is over without her. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you always want to, you want to tell people, it's like, I understand that was difficult, but I hope you can, I hope you can get back on your feet yeah. and go on your life. So this song uh, originally Badfinger's hanging out. Picture this, they're hanging out in a, in a place called Golders Green. This is in London. And they've been songwriting, they've been touring. And there was an evening where the, the two gentlemen who co-wrote the song are Pete Ham and Tom Evans from Badfinger. So uh, Pete Ham is going to go out with his girlfriend, Beverly. And Tom Evans says to him, hey, I have an idea for a song. And, and Ham said, no, not tonight. I promised Bev we're going to go out. And so some pretty cool girlfriend. She said she didn't want him to regret later if they went out that he didn't stay and write this song. And she said, go into the studio. I'm fine about it. Dang. Did yeah. he end up marrying this girl? Uh, I'm not sure if he did. It might it he, might touch on that. He later. should have. He because should that have, doesn't yeah. have, You have to like do what I did and marry... Yeah. You got to marry a musician there, for there them you. to understand. And that's not go. always true. I think a creative mind can understand when gotcha. you just need to get into the studio. Uh-huh. But uh, my wife never goes, no, you can't. Don't you dare pick up that guitar. She's <laughs> like, okay, you that's good. Play. That's good. You got to stop interrupting me, Daryl. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're out of time. No, go, we... go, 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 go. Speed <laughs> it up. Let's go. It. So he stop said, Harry said your mouth is smiling, but your eyes are sad. And so the song that Ham wrote that night was called If It's Love, and it has the verse, 
Well, I can't forget tomorrow when I think of all my sorrow. I had you there, but then I let you go. And now it's only fair that I should let you know. And that's part of the song. So that was the verse. Mm. So Ham was not happy with the chorus. So they weren't weren't done with the song. So Evans, on the other hand, uh, his relationship with his future wife, he did marry a gal named Marianne. And she had influenced his lyrics. This is, I'm sorry, but I hate to, I'm not going to tell you that now. This might be a sad ending, Jared. Oh my God. One evening, Evans uh, went to Marianne, his girlfriend at the time, her friend Karen's place. And he said, she's left me. I need her back. I can't live without her. So he flew to Bond to find her and he wrote a song called I Can't Live. And it's chorus was I can't live if living is without you, which we just said ended up being the chorus song. I can't live, I can't give anymore. So they merged the two mm, songs. But they're from different perspectives of a relationship, right? Yeah. Here's here's one where this guy is very sentimental about his girlfriend letting him do this and, you know, appreciating that, but also looking at like the line he said, you're smiling, but your eyes are sad. And then you've got Evans, who is coming from this place of sheer desperation mm-hmm. very dramatic chorus like i can't live if living with uh, is without you but i think it's the magic of those two those two different uh perspectives totally coming together and if you listen to i think i think <laughs> no in my personal opinion listening to the song and i'm probably not the only person who feels this way the magic of the song is that harry nelson captures that sort of sentimentality in the verse yeah. and the drama of the chorus oh sure where it becomes and it was produced really well that way too where it became big so do you think that's the end of the story no here's the part i never oh realized God, here it is. and this is the part that just blew my mind okay and I guess I haven't told you this yet, have I? I'm whispering, so. so I'm so ready. Both Ham and Evans said they did not consider the song to have much potential at the time when they when Badfinger recorded it. It was slotted to close the first side of their 1970 album called No Dice, in which you've probably seen that. I wish we had it on our wall. It's like, I think I remember that one. It had a pair of dice or something. Badfinger. I think you're re- thinking of Bad Company. Oh, I might be. You yeah. are right. Yeah, 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 we do have it up on Thank the wall. Thank you. Bad I'm Company glad you pointed that out. That's yeah. funny. And that album is called straight shooter by by bad company <laughs> not so, bad finger here we go so the uh that was recorded on there bad fingers recording of the song they say which is more brusque than its successor versions was not released as a single in europe or north america here's the interesting part oh my god the two writers of the song gotta breathe ham and evans later committed suicide what? due to legal and financial issues both of them Holy buckets. Committed suicide. Oh my gosh. Could you believe that? <laughs> what? I was like, my, my mouth just fell open when I read that. That is so sad. Isn't it? It says in Evan's case, it was a dispute over songwriting royalties for the song Without You oh, no. that precipitated his action. And he was only 27. Oh no. Um, he committed suicide, I forget how. And then it said songwriting royalties had become the subject of constant legal wrangling for Evans. And in 1983, when he was 36, he actually hung himself. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things. And I'm not, I certainly can't laugh about it. No. But yet it's got a weird twist to it. When There's you think about the universal there. thing and the irony of it. Yes, yeah. where you have the song, I Can't Live, that they co-wrote. 
And isn't it epic? You should have let me finish with Hootie, dude. Why did you you make me go? (laughs) I'm so sorry. Outsiders, I'm so sorry. We're going to have to do like a quick mini episode same day. Just nothing but happy unicorn rainbow sounds. It's been a long time and they had successful careers. And I'm obviously, yeah, that is. Yeah, but he was 27. I know. That's the thing. He's a part of the 27 Club. (gasps) Ooh. He is, and I shouldn't have gotten wasn't... so excited on the mic about that. But I'm yeah. Well, well, we got to get over it. I mean, and we are sorry, outsiders. But I think it's pretty, it's a pretty epic story, and I had never heard that before. No. And I mean, what are the odds that both of them, and then they're the two co-writers of a song called "I Can't Live If Living Is Without You," and a lot of it had to do with the whole dissolution of Apple Records. Because there was legal hassles and royalty issues later on. I think those two are really in touch with the part of their emotion that is that is very sad. That doesn't make sense because emotion is just, there's several emotions. Yeah. But they were really in, like, nobody, no, I'm saying not nobody. Let me back this up. This is, this is coming straight from my butt at yeah. this point, okay? <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you for acknowledging you don't, that. I I don't know about you. Well, I can't say this because I feel like I do this sometimes too, but he was so drawn to the way she looked. Mm-hmm. He wasn't focused on like when when he when the girlfriend was like, "Hey, go ahead, it's fine. I'll be fine." Mm-hmm. And he's like she was smiling, but there you know, she, her eyes were sad or however you said it. Yeah. It's like how can I put it? That's their focus was was his focus was really on that and the other guy was his focus was really on getting back to his girlfriend yeah. so it's like they were really in tune with that part of them and maybe that led to their ultimate demise their sadness i don't know i mean it had to be difficult also to be man we could even we could launch into another episode with this but uh just the fact that you had such incredible success and then you you totally. see the label fold totally. and i mean that would be frustrating but wouldn't you want to just Embrace what you had still. And and he did have, uh, Tom Evans did marry Marianne. Oh, he did. Uh, that was the girlfriend that had left him when he was so distraught. And he got but back they, together. they did get back together. And I don't know who Pete Ham was married to. I don't know if it was Bev or not. He but, should have uh, kept old Beverly around. He should, he should have. And maybe he did. I don't know. I'd have to look that up. But uh, interesting things that you stumble upon when you're doing some research. Yeah, great way to end an episode, well, Marty. I almost thought they had made it up when I first read it. I'm like, no, that can't be true. And then I researched and sure enough, it was it was true. Just kidding. Um, yeah, just kidding. But hey, you know what? Despite that, that that's a good, that was a good episode, man. Great idea. I got to give you props. That Oh, that was, this was fun for me to do. And I hope it's fun for the outsiders, if for you, you guys say to so listen to ourselves. If you do if say you so, you do ourselves. say so ourselves. Yes. And we pat ourselves on the back, but yes, Absolutely. thank you. It was fun. That I was enjoyed fun. it. And yeah. it ended up leading us to, to an hour and 20 minutes. Sure did. Our episodes somehow just keep getting longer. And I hope, let us know if you, uh, if you want them shorter <laughs> outsiders, but we're having fun we'll and trim, we hope you are as well. We'll trim the fat. Outsiders, thank you so much for listening. Again, this is Outside the Mic. I'm Jarrett Weimer. And I'm Martin Meyer. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Listen, stay tuned. Check out our website, OutsideTheMic.com, and be sure to find us on all your favorite podcast streaming platforms. Thank you. Bye.